morning we turn our attention to the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. Luke's Gospel, you can turn there or follow along in your bulletin. Remember, Luke is that very detail-oriented physician. Uh, He wants the facts and let us know uh, how these events took place in the life of Jesus. And so we're going to look at an event uh, this morning as Luke relays an exchange between Jesus and a group of men who are in very deep pain, uh, very deep affliction. Uh, In this case, that affliction is leprosy. And this group of lepers, you may recall, just leprosy is that disease of the skin and the nerves, um, so that uh, those who had this disease, uh, it would just um, sort of, they would lose feeling in parts of their body. And as they would injure those parts of their body, then that would sort of deform uh, their bodies. Awful, awful disease. So they, they bring their pain, they bring their plea. Uh, to Jesus, and is often the case when we encounter Jesus, the God-man, uh, there are things that we expect, and then there are a lot of things that we don't expect uh, happening. Um, so you can follow along with me as I read an account that's unique to Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 17. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you and thank you for your word. That you would speak in such a way that we can understand Lord, we need your help now that our hearts would understand, that our minds would um, be able to process and uh, think through your word. Make us attentive, we ask. Illumine our hearts um, to a deeper understanding and a deeper affection uh, for our Lord and Savior, that we too would be a people of gratitude. We ask your help in this, in Christ's name, amen. If you've spent any time in the north or if you've lived in the north, or you have family members who are in the north, you know that typically by this time of the year, they have their first snow. And I can remember growing up, it was often on Thanksgiving, or right around Thanksgiving, that there would be snow on the ground. And we'd have family members who were uh, plowers, and they push snow for a living. And um, So either they would not be at the Thanksgiving feast because they were out plowing the night before, or they had to wolf the food down so they could get out and, and shovel and push snow. Well, last year I didn't have to push snow, but I was behind a shovel shortly thereafter, uh, after it snowed. And uh, usually we'd start very early in the morning, you know, one, two o'clock, and then go until our, our route was finished. And there were a few times where I'd be out in the cold and the wind, and it's getting to be about that breakfast time hour. And you can't help but notice as you're shoveling a sidewalk right up to the front door of people's houses that the lights are coming on and... You know, there'd be a cup of coffee there, and, and I'm not trying to spy, you know, but you just, you notice that, you know, the, the fire is lit on the inside, um, 
you know, maybe the newspaper or getting out a book in, in the morning. And uh, now I'm, I'm very grateful for the job that I had, but I know I was thinking at those times, I'm on the wrong side of the window here. You know, it's five in the morning, I'm out shivering, cold. Um, I wanted to be inside where it was warm, where it was comfortable. Uh, instead, I'm outside uh, in the cold. So I think of these group of men in Luke chapter 17, they're on the outside. And they may not be shivering the snow, but they are, are miserable and helpless and longing to be on the inside. To be able to live and enjoy life with their families, enjoy life with the community. But this disease has left them as outsiders, as outcasts from the community. From the life that they once knew, perhaps, or life that they've never known to be a part of. The question is, how do they get back? What has to happen for outsiders like these lepers to be restored and welcomed back into the community? So we see this unfold in the verses that we've read here. A very clear cry from the outsiders, command of Jesus, and the confession of one that we absolutely least expect. And so... If you want to shorten the outline to those three words, you could do that. A cry, a command, and confession. And Jesus has already set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem for the final time. If we go back to Luke chapter 9, it says this, that this would be his, his final trip to Jerusalem. And so he is, he is moving south, north up into, from the hill country of Samaria through the hill country of Judah. And so, but he's also climbing in altitude. So when you read, he went up to Jerusalem. He's going south, but he's climbing uh, towards the city. But there was no Highway 40 back then where he could just go straight there. This is a, this is an, a road that's essing its way through uh, the countryside. So we're not told which village this is that Jesus stops at. But the fact that it mentions Samaria first is significant because that connects Samaria to that shocker we get a few verses later in verse 16. Uh, so Jesus is outside the town, he hears the cries of these lepers, which makes sense, because that is exactly where they're going to be, outside the village. And if you look back in Leviticus 13 or Numbers 5, it describes what that situation would look like. Those with this disease were unclean, they had to live outside the camp or outside the village. And they, their, their hair was down, they had to cover most of their face, uh, their clothes were torn, and they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. They had to be crystal clear what their condition was. Stay away. Don't come close. Just sit there for a second. Imagine that. Can you imagine that type of hurt? That type of isolation? I mean, one of the fundamental human needs we have is to be together. To be in community. They're saying, stay away. I mean, just imagine the, the feelings of not just isolation, but worthlessness to live like that. Um, as a family, we prayed for a young lady the other day who's receiving care through Compassion International. She's born in Africa, born with no legs and um, one arm that was partially developed. And in Africa, this is considered a bad omen, a curse upon the family in many places. And her father and mother loved her, and her father was killed by family members 
because he refused to kill her in her infancy. But she's now grown and has many hopes and dreams. And I wondered, you know, maybe she would have a better idea of what that would be like. To be so isolated. Her and her mother outcasts, forced to, um, to flee the area, flee the country. Um, do you think that the bodies of these lepers, they're, they're, the bodies are wasting away, but their hearts are not. Um, they're, they're in pain. They would do anything, anything to be free of this affliction. So they cry out for mercy. It's all that they can do. They're helpless uh, to change their situation. And brothers and sisters and friends, this is where I want us to hear the cry of these lepers. It should hit close to home for us. So close, so that this cry actually becomes our own. You know, our skin may not be hanging from the bones, but there is a deadness, there's a disease which we all suffer from, a disease that's infected us, the disease of our sin, our rebellion against God, the idolatry of our hearts. You know, when our first parents rebelled against the good word of the Lord in Genesis 3, what happened? They, they were cast out of the garden. They couldn't get back inside. That way was guarded. And so their relationship to God and, and with each other and the rest of the world was broken and infected. It's our own sin. It's, it sins against us. Just living in a world that's under the, the burden and the weight of the curse, it leaves us helpless. It leaves us with a cry for mercy. So these lepers, which we know after reading the passage that there were Jews in that region as well as a Samaritan, at least one, who would not normally be hanging out together. That was unusual. But here they're all together. They're united in their cry. United with a, a common misery is what brought them together. And we're united in our cry with all people in need of God's mercy. And those with leprosy would often cry out for some mercy, some generous act, maybe a cry for alms. But here they seem to be expecting more from Jesus. There's something that Jesus has to offer that only Jesus can provide one hope as outcasts, outsiders who long to be on the inside. Before we look at the response of Jesus, we need to see the posture of these men in their pain, in their affliction. They knew they were helpless. They had nothing to offer. It had to be mercy from Jesus. And they had to admit this. So are you and I willing to admit our need? Are we willing to let go of our own self-reliance, our own strength? And we do this initially as we turn to Christ in faith and we, we trust in, in Christ and, and put our faith in Him, but it doesn't stop on this journey as Christians. I think this is extremely hard for us. Um, it may very well be why, why we're not maturing spiritually or why we feel like we're in a, a spiritual state of just stagnancy, kind of disconnected. Um, Maybe because we're, we're really deeply trusting in our own power sources. And these could be things like our own talents, our own gifts, could be finances, it could be our own, uh, it could be the technology, it could be a family name. Um, I think this is why sometimes we don't see such a 
blatant spiritual attack within the Western church because it's just not needed. Um, Satan, the spiritual forces of evil, are quite content when we're self-reliant, we'll get her done, and we will cry out as, we'll claim to be victims before we cry out in helplessness. Um, that's right, right where God works, uniquely. He delights to show His mercy to the humble and to the powerless. And you may be a new Christian, you may you know, have a well-worn path on your journey of faith, but only as we admit our helplessness, our need of God's mercy. Um, at every turn, how do we expect Him to act? We can't expect Him to really bear fruit um, in our lives. So Jesus, He doesn't come to the lepers and touch them. He doesn't come and, and give them a hug in this case. He stays at a distance, but a distance that they can hear um, and calls out to them, gives this command to go and show themselves uh, to the priests. He did have something to give them. Jesus is going about the work uh, that the Father has given him to do, doing exactly what the prophets foretold uh, would happen. A little earlier in Luke's Gospel, when John's disciples, they come to Jesus in Luke chapter 7. You may recall, that they're, they're asking Jesus, are you the real deal? Is this what we can expect? Uh, and Jesus says, go back to John and reassure him with these words. Go and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. This is what Jesus was doing. This is where healing was to be found. There was good reason to listen to the voice of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't heal them right on the spot. Um, But they have to trust Jesus. They trust His Word. Uh, He tells them to go and exercise some faith before this healing even takes place. They had to listen. They had to believe that something would happen um, even when they couldn't see it yet. We've seen this before in the Old Testament. You may remember the story of Naaman and Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman is the head honcho. He's the commander of the Syrian army and he contracts this disease of leprosy. And uh, through this course of events, he finds himself at the house of the prophet Elijah. And Elijah's inside, he, still, he just sits down with his mint tea, I'm making that up, but it's, he stayed inside and he sent his servant to the door. Uh, just tell him to go wash. Not one of those big rivers, but in the Jordan a couple times. No, no, make it four times. Ah, seven times in the Jordan. Um, so Naaman has to swallow this huge pride sandwich, um, has to admit his need for God's mercy. He has to go in faith. For healing. So Jesus commands these lepers to move as if they are already healed. If they really believe that Jesus can help them, they're not just going to stand around, they're going to walk, as painful as that walking may be on their rotting limbs. So the whole group begins to take these steps of faith, trusting in the one who opens the eyes of the blind and the one who opens the ears of the deaf, drives out demons that he has the power. Uh, to heal them from this affliction. Do you and I believe Jesus has that power? Do we trust Him enough that whatever our affliction, we know that He's at work? 
that he can bring healing in a moment if he desires, where we may see this affliction extended over a period of time as he works in our lives, drawing us, refining us for his glory. You know, I think I mentioned this recently, but we don't rejoice in the pain itself. Our hurt, our affliction does not have any intrinsic value in itself, but as God uses it to promote His good work in us, His design for us, that's what we praise Him for. That's what we give Him thanks for. The Puritan Thomas Case, he said this beautifully. He said, God softens hearts with the showers of adversity and makes us more attentive to Him and less influenced by the noise of the world. Softening our hearts with adversity. Because we may not have a clear answer right away. We may not see change in the way that we're expecting or hoping for. Sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, most of the time, we need to walk in faith. Following the living word of Christ, anticipating how, how God is going to work mercifully in our lives. You know, I think of you know, maybe we need a job, we need to find another job. Um, and we need to be actively pursuing that work, doing what we can do to, uh, to help in securing another job, even as we trust God to provide uh, for those positions. And I think in a world, in a culture, we are growing lonelier. We desire friendship and companionship, and so we focus on being the kind of friend that we would like to have as we trust God to provide what He knows we need. So we take courage, walking by faith and not by sight, says the Apostle Paul. But what happens when we do see something happen? When we see and experience the mercy of God in our lives? So these men are walking together and they're not carrying these little personal mirrors you know, just watching to see if something is going to happen. They're looking at each other while they're walking. And, hey, I can see this part of your face now. Or, hey, you're not, you're not walking with that limp anymore. You're standing up straight. Hey, hey, look at your arm. Look at your hand. Shake my hand. Shake my hand. Can you just, just imagine their excitement? He did it. These, they were new men. And so after seeing a priest, which the Old Testament commands, they, would, they could go from you know, being outside to inside, outcast to life in community with their families. I mean, these men would have been ecstatic, out of their minds, joyful uh, for something like this to happen. And so they all respond, all nine of them respond. Um, nine, or all ten of them respond, all nine of them keep on going to the priest. And we can't blame them for doing this. This is what Jesus told them to do. Go back to the priest. I mean, if you and I knew that there was one more step until we would be included in the community, brought from outside, inside, we'd probably be picking up the pace to the priest as well. Um, that's what all but one of them does. They've tasted that heavenly gift. The kingdom of God has come near in this healing. Um, but one, one does something that none of the rest do. And it's a Samaritan. I mean, they were all outcasts, but in that time, the, the Samaritan was a little more deserving of an outcast. Um, the 
Yet he's the one who stops. He's the one who goes back to Jesus. This is that great reversal that Luke loves to highlight in his gospel. That's the least expected, the the last in line, the most rejected will be the first in the kingdom of God. And so the Samaritan really does see something that the others do not and it moves him to go back to Jesus. It's this, in this gift of healing, he actually sees the giver himself. He recognized the need for Jesus. He saw the giver in the gift, and it moves him. So there's, there's a higher priority for him now, a higher spiritual obligation than, than the just ritual obligation of going back to the priest, being declared clean. So no doubt they're all thankful. But we see God at the very center of the Samaritan's gratitude. Really does four things in those verses, verses 15 and 16. He turns back, so thanking Jesus is a priority for him now. The next thing, he offers his own praise. He offers his own doxology, praising God with a loud voice. Okay, think of what he had been shouting, unclean, unclean. Now he's got a new song. I'm clean. He did it, clean. Come here, give me a hug, man. That's what he had been saying. And then thirdly, he falls at the feet of Jesus, a posture of humility, submission. And lastly, thanks Jesus personally. This is the only time in the New Testament where thanks is given to Jesus personally. Um, so Luke helps us in, in closing that gap between God and then the perception of His power and Jesus. Jesus has this power. Uh, Jesus is unique. He's... He's one you better give attention to. And giving praise and thanks to Jesus is giving thanks to God. So this outsider is doing, well, what we might expect the true children of Abraham to do. Giving praise to God. We hear Jesus making this point with these really somewhat rhetorical questions here at the end. If God has healed, then God is to be praised and thanked. It demands a, a turning back. Submission to Jesus and His Lordship. So all ten lepers show a faith to begin with. But in returning, this Samaritan shows uh, something deeper. In the words of Jesus, um, He says this many times in the Gospel, Rise, your faith has made you well. or Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, this man was renewed. He was given new life physically, New life religiously, he can now worship with the people. New life socially, but most likely from these words, he's given new life spiritually as well. This outsider, helpless, powerless, actually had gone to the priest, right? Not not the priest, not the Levitical priest. Everyone would have been running to, but to the only great high priest, The only one who could forgive. The only one who could declare him clean from the burden of sin. The guilt of sin. Only Jesus can bring healing that lasts. Only Jesus can heal our hearts. Jesus takes our sin upon himself. He goes to the cross, becomes the ultimate outsider. Jesus was on the inside. He... He was entitled to every comfort, every 
every privilege, every honor and praise as the Son of God, but he identifies with the least and the lost. And like the leper who goes outside the camp, Jesus trading places with the sinner, trading places with us. He takes the disease of our sin, our our moral leprosy upon Himself. And we're restored. That's healing. That is new life in Christ. Our great high priest, the mediator for His people. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says we have a better covenant found on the better promises of God in Christ who mediates for His people. So that work of the Levitical priest, it was just a shadow of the heavenly work of Christ. We all must turn to Him with thanksgiving. Do we see this in our hearts? And God must enable this. He must show us our need for Christ that we would fall at His feet saying, thank you, thank you, Jesus. That should be our disposition as Christians. Disposition of gratitude. Giving thanks to God for His grace, for His mercy for His faithfulness, for His enduring love. This was Paul's heart, 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again in 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. How about Romans 7? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? <laughs> I don't think I do this very well, or not as well as I would like. Um, I think it's easy to pay lip service with a quick, you know, thank you, Jesus. We seem to avoid disaster. Um, but our, our thanks are not going to be, they're not going to be sincere from the heart if we believe in any way that we are somehow deserving or worthy of what's being provided. We're somehow worthy of God's mercy. That it was our faith, you know, that little faith, all ten lepers, there's little faith there. There was a little faith, but then there was really a, a trust in some of those other power sources. And then when things work out the way we expect, we you know, give a little shout out to Jesus. Are we really thankful? Thankful enough to turn back to Him and want to follow, want to obey. We want to, to obey Him more today than yesterday. And pray for me in this. I'll pray for you in this. That our lives would actually demonstrate how grateful we claim to be on a weekend like this. Or any other day during the week. Or the year. And as I read and reread this passage, the Samaritan coming back to Jesus, then being sent Again, by Jesus and confidence, His healing touch, I started to see the church. Um, this is a pattern for life and worship in the church. We come together, just like this on Sundays, at the feet of Jesus. We see our need of His mercy, reassured of His love, and we say, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And He responds, rise, go in faith. Be healed from all that can ultimately harm you. And then we do it again. So how important this rhythm of repentance and dependence upon Christ is as a fuel for our thanksgiving. So I'm thankful I didn't have to shovel snow this weekend. Um, outside, wishing that I were inside. 
where it was warm and comfortable. By faith, we can rest confidently that Christ has brought us in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's healed us. We can enjoy this shalom, this peace of God right now, and when it's fully realized at the return of Jesus again. You know, if Jesus has done this work, if he's really saved us like this, and he should never hear the end of it, ever. And he's never going to hear the end of it. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We'll join that throng of thanksgiving to our God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we want to thank you sincerely from our hearts for the life that you have given to us, the new life in our Lord and Savior. We thank you, O God, that you have united us to Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is your Holy Spirit that, that keeps us, that binds us together, communion with you and with one another. We thank you, Lord, for this good word. May we go from this place, truly thankful hearts, desire to follow you in grateful obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.